Well, hello, Church of the Incarnation. Uh, last time I was here was November, and uh, it's, it's been uh, a very quick, I don't know what, eight months. What's interesting is that in my opening illustration of the sermon from November, I talked about Chicago politics. And if any of you remember this, and, and, and my point was that uh, in Chicago, the expectation for leaders is it's okay to be corrupt as long as you get the job done. You know, the city that works. Um, so there was a little bit of, of foreshadowing. But uh, it, it, this is a very special church to me personally because I did come down with a few other pastors from, from the D.C. area. And I think we met um, uh, at the Cook's home and the Goods were there and the Ditos were there and I think Fran was there. Was anyone else there at that meeting? Um, yes. Michelle? Yes. And um, what's your name? Martine. Martine, Yes. And uh, so that was a really special meeting, and it was amazing to see the church get birthed in the process, to see just the right pastor come in, and to see uh, what the Lord has done so far. So it's really special to be here. You guys are a a champion for me. You're a model for me as I think and pray about what the Lord is doing in Chicago. So far, he's he's shown amazing provision, and I'll actually share a little bit about that in the sermon. but you can really pray for us. Pray specifically that the Lord shows us the right location in Chicago. Because location is so important. We want to be in the city. And we want to uh, lift high the Son of God to the city. So that all may be drawn to Him. And so just ask that the Lord would open the door for the right place in, in Chicago. Um, so that we can, we, sh- we can serve Him well. Today we're going to be looking at Colossians 3. And this is, uh, I encourage you to turn there. This is uh, a text which shows us how we can lift high the Son of God before each other. Whether in the community of faith or beyond the community of faith. Listen, people are not going to care so much about what the Christians in Harrisonburg are saying. They're going to care so much more about what the Christians in Harrisonburg are doing. And so our behavior is so important. Um, Our behavior has to reflect the glory that we are destined for. So before we take a look at this text, let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would open this holy word to us this morning. I pray that it would not just be a word to the Colossian church, but that it would be a word to the church of the incarnation in Harrisonburg. I pray that you would refresh us by your Holy Spirit. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Is anyone here in high school right now? Any high schoolers? Anyone else? Can I ask you guys, do you guys still have the letterman's jacket in your high school? I mean, you have to buy it. You have to buy it? (laughs) Right, right, right. And it's not cheap, is it? Um, What do... If, if I may ask, what does the letterman's jacket represent to you? If you want to answer, fine. If not, that's okay. But what does this, what does the letterman's jacket speak to you? Um. Well, it's kind of out of style these days. Yeah. Okay. Yes. 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 <laughs> but um, I don't know. Triumph, victory. Yeah. I, I have completed all of this. Yes. Yes. All the varsity team and some sport. Precisely. Yeah. So even though it's out of style, it has the same symbolism. Yeah. Yeah. Did you want to add anything to that? No, I'm going into ninth grade. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Um, I remember uh, in junior high and high school that the letterman's jacket was such this priestly garment. Um, it, um, 
it had so much symbolism to it, and it was um, it was sort of the the uh, jacket de jour. It was sort of the uh, the way that you expressed where you sat in the hierarchy of, of, of junior high or, or high school. What's interesting is that once you graduated from high school, there was this severe cutoff that if you wore it, it has this amazing shelf life. Once you passed high school, Letterman's, jacket, Letterman's jackets went from uh, sort of special, unique, relevant to almost shameful. Like, if you saw someone in college wearing a Letterman's jacket, you're like, you're in college. Grow up. You're no longer on the football team. And, you know, no one, now that I'm in my 30s, no one would dare even show somebody their Letterman's jacket. Because they are past the age of high school. And what was once a, a, a garment that you thought was full of glory is actually a garment that's somewhat shameful. In fact, I'm glad that they're out of style in high school. <laughs> People don't even want to wear them in high school anymore. For those of us who, are, who have been raised with Christ, there are certain garments that no longer belong in our closet. And by garments, I mean behaviors. Behaviors and clothing are similar because they, they tell ourselves and they tell other people who we think we are. They reinforce our identity. And they're public. And they're physical. There are behaviors that we continue to wear like clothing that we have no business wearing after we have died to the world and we've been raised with Christ. If we've been raised with Christ and we are people of glory, let me tell you what we are headed for. This is a quote from C.S. Lewis. If we let him... He will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a god or goddess, a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, on a smaller scale, of course, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. This process will be long and in some parts very painful, But this is what we are headed for, nothing less. If that's your future, sexual immorality has no place in the wardrobe of your behavior. Bitterness and malice has no place in your wardrobe. Backbiting, lying has no place in your wardrobe if that glorious future belongs to you. And it does if you have put your faith in Christ's work on your behalf. We have glory available to us now. Not completely, but there are ways that we can discard shameful behaviors and put on and don ourselves with behavior even this week, this very day, that reflect the glory that will one day fill us completely. The very holiness of God The very holiness of Christ is ours now. Not completely, but it is is available immediately. The old Adam within us has already died. Grandpa Adam gave us some really shameful clothes, some awful things that we have no business wearing. We can discard them and put on instead what our elder brother Christ has given us, the garments of glory. Today what I want to leave you with, this may be the last time I ever see you, 
And what I want to tell you is that we are people of glory, so let's dress for glory. Let the people of glory dress for glory. Let the Church of the Incarnation, which is a community of glory, put on the garments of glory. Um, Dressing for glory means exchanging our shameful behavior for gloried behavior. It's not earning salvation with good deeds. It's showcasing the salvation that has already taken place by God's grace. And it's real. This happens in two stages. The first stage is cleaning out our wardrobe. um, And the second stage is donning our new clothes. So let's look uh, at uh, Colossians 3 and read about um, cleaning out our wardrobe. Paul says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And then skip down to verse 8. Now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. I want to show you um, some shorts that I bought uh, in Chicago 13 years ago. I bought these in 1999. These are Old Navy board shorts. And I, you know what? I really love these shorts because they fit perfectly. They're light um, and they're just comfortable. They're well worn in. I'm you know, kind of proud of these shorts. I was telling Laura the other day, my wife... Um, about this fact that I've owned these shorts for 13 years. And she kind of looked at me like askance, and she goes, I hate those shorts. (laughs) They don't belong in my wardrobe anymore. Paul takes bits and pieces from the Colossian wardrobe. Remember, these are real people. This is not a hypothetical list. These are real sins from a real church. And it's almost like he opens the closet doors and he takes all these clothes out and, puts, and, and just spreads them out on the floor and goes, see that? That doesn't belong there. This blouse should be thrown away. These shorts, I hate them. <laughs> Two in particular that I want to point out. There's an outfit that Paul mentions that he wants the Colossians to be rid of and it is um, the clothes of a thief. The clothes of a thief. Let's read again verse 5. Put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. What do all these have in common? Sexual immorality, evil passion, covetousness. They're all forms of taking. They're all forms of lusting after things that don't belong to us. When we put on the clothes of a thief, we lust for the pleasure that others can provide. We want their bodies, their, their money. We covet their opportunities. We crave their perfect families. Um, when we put on a, the clothes of a thief, our hearts cry out, I must have, I need, I will take if I have the opportunity. These are the clothes of Adam and Eve when uh, they were in the garden. God had forbidden them to take the fruit, uh, but they reached for the fruit. God had forbidden it, but they said, I must take it. Uh, I must have it. I will have it. It's 
the root of base idolatry. It comes out of base idolatry that God has freed us from. Um, This is a word to the Colossians, but it's also a word to us. Do we wear the clothes of a thief? Do we seek to take what is not ours? Do we lust after things that do not belong to us? Um, Whose salary do you wish was yours? What body have you been looking at or do you have you been using? Whose advantages and accomplishments or families or life situations do you envy? People of glory do not wear this outfit. People of glory must put this outfit away, throw it away, discard it. They do not wear the clothes of a thief. Um, the second outfit is the clothes of a hit man or a hit woman. <laughs> Read with me verse, uh, verse 8 and 9. Now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And do not lie to one another. When we wear the clothes of a hit man or a hit woman, we take dark pleasure in taking down the people we despise. We can do this through angry responses, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lying. This, this is a shameful out to, outfit to God and to those who are people of glory, but it's, this outfit right now in our day is very fashionable. People uh, take great earthly glory in using artful deception and well-articulated bits of anger um, and slander to draw blood from people that they're fighting with, people that are their enemies, political or otherwise. Because the taste of someone else's blood, especially the blood of someone that you hate or hates you, the taste of their blood is so addictive. So we get hooked on this taste, and we go after it again and again. We wear the clothes of a hit man or a hit woman, Notice that the three pieces of this outfit are conditions of the heart. Verse 8 mentions anger, wrath, and malice. These are like the undercurrents, the emotional undercurrents um, of tasting blood. But the the next three words um, are like the choppy waves that destroy all the boats that are on the surface. Slander, obscene talk, and lying. These are all ways that we use our words... To bring someone down that we think is too big for their britches or someone who has done us wrong, um, someone who is vying for the same opportunities, we want to bring them down with our words so that we can either get what we want or so that we can know the thrill um, of humbling somebody. Um, This uh, outfit is worn by a lot of people in Washington, D.C. And um, there's a... There's this traffic center called DuPont Circle, and um, it's near the center of the city, and it's a confusing traffic pattern, and so it makes a lot of people frustrated because they don't know which way to go. It's a roundabout with two rungs, so there's an inner circle and an outer circle. In the middle of Washington, D.C., people who are driving their cars think that they're the most important person in the world, and their appointment they're getting to is the most important appointment in Washington, D.C., And people power up on anger. It's just the way the city runs. It runs on the fumes um, of anger. And so what you see is fights between pedestrians and people who drive cars. The pedestrians are self-righteous and think that the people who are driving cars are pigs. 
that people are driving cars like the pedestrians and go, can't you just follow the, you know, follow the crosswalk patterns, the signs, just obey the law like I'm trying to obey the law? And uh, drivers get mad at one another because they're, they're confused and they're angry and so they get in each other's way. And so there's this culture of anger right around DuPont Circle. All I have to do is walk around for a few minutes to feel it and see it. Last Sunday, I was studying for this sermon, and I heard what sounded to be a rally outside. So out of curiosity, I walked outside, take a break, and what I saw horrified me. I saw two people, and it appeared that they had hit one another near DuPont Circle. They had hit, their cars had hit one another. They were members of different socioeconomic groups, and they were shouting the worst kind of base... Uh, bitter comments and insults about each other's life situation that you can imagine. And everyone around them was horrified, going, can you believe that this is taking place? Can you believe it was a shameful moment? What they were doing for us was showcasing the logical conclusion of when you put on the clothes of a hitman, how shameful it actually is. Most of us are so good at hiding it. Um, what would your spouse say about, have you ever put on the clothes of a hitman? Do you ever? Are there situations, are there road rage situations for you where you kind of conceal enough of the anger and the malice and the rage, but just enough of it comes out to demonstrate the shame that's still in your closet, those clothes that you shouldn't be wearing anymore but are still there? What would your friends say? What would your coworkers say about the way you respond to people who you think should be humbled? Have you tried to bring someone down subtly? We're so good at sort of subtle takedowns, subtle assassinations with our words, subtle suggestions about how someone isn't as good as, we, as they think they are, um, subtle ways that we magnify ourselves um, in relationship to other people. The clothes of a hitman are shameful. They don't belong in our closet. Um, and you might be asking, you know, okay, yeah, sometimes I put on the clothes of a hitman, sometimes I put on um, the clothes of a thief. How do I stop? How do I put them away? It's not as easy as throwing away my shorts, which I will do tonight. I just realized on the way here I need to do that. But, you know, it's, it's a lot harder for me to put away my anger. So how do we do it? Listen, I, it's a long process, and it's a difficult process, but if you want to speed up the process... You do what Paul is modeling here, and you begin naming the sin in the context of loving, gracious community. Not because you hate yourself, uh, but because you want to clean out your wardrobe and put on the clothes of glory. Talking about sin with other wise and gracious members of the body of Christ is one of the ways that we clean out our wardrobe so that we can put on the clothes of glory. It's one of the ways. It's... Imagine that you're the Colossian church and you're reading this list. Billions of Christians have read this list. And it's, you know, if you're in the Colossian church, it's about you. I mean, Paul says, um, put to death. The implication is it's still living. It's still alive. I heard about these rattlesnakes in, uh, in California. That uh, the way you kill a rattlesnake, does anyone know? Chop off. Chop off its head. But guess what? You shouldn't hang around that chopped off head very long, what will happen? It can bite you. you got to bury that head. Listen, Christ has defeated the head of the serpent. We have no business 
hanging around these behaviors and pretending as if they're not there. Talking openly and honestly with other people in this church about our sin patterns, about the things that have been handed down from, to us from our parents, about the things that we've chosen for ourselves, is the path to healing. It's the path to cleaning out our wardrobe. So that's the first stage. The first stage for dressing for glory is cleaning out a wardrobe. The second stage uh, is donning your new clothes. Donning your new clothes. So notice that even though the Colossian church had major, major issues... Um, from sex to covetousness to racism, Paul reminds them in verse 12 that they are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So he says, put on then, but he says, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So yes, all of these sins are currently active. You know, you've been bitten by the rattlesnake, you're still wearing shameful clothes, and yet you are holy to the Lord. You are loved by God. You have been chosen by God. That is your identity. He's telling them to take off the old letterman's jacket because they're already out of high school. They no longer have to submit to those regulations. They are already holy. It's almost as if Paul's saying, okay, we've discarded all these clothes. Let's go get some new clothes. But on the way, I want you to look in the mirror and see who you are. You're not shameful. You're not condemned. You are holy and beloved and chosen of God. So let's go find some clothes that fit who you already are. Um, so we, they put on the clothes of glory. When we wear the clothes of glory, we are delighted to become little saviors. Not the savior, but little saviors, junior saviors. People who have the compassion and grace and uh, saving intentionality that Christ had. Look at this list. Paul tells them to put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. He, uh, he tells them to bear with one another and to forgive one another and to put on love. If, think about it. What do compassion and kindness and forgiveness and bearing with one another and having love have in common? These are all gracious responses to the weaknesses and imperfections and failures of people that we come in contact with. It's not hard to do these things with people who are fun to be around and who who bring life to us. It's not hard to show compassion to to our closest friends. It's difficult to show compassion to someone who's kind of pointy, someone who sins against us, someone who is arrogant, someone who does hit us on the road. Um, Uh... And when we wear the, when we wear the uh, shameful clothes of a hitman, we just want to take a pound of flesh from those people. When we wear the clothes uh, of a thief, we want to exploit the weaknesses of others. But when we, want, when we wear these honorable clothes, these glory clothes, we respond in a completely different way to the weaknesses and failures of other people. Um, we are objects of Jesus' compassion. We are objects of Jesus' kindness. We are objects and recipients of Jesus' humility. He humbled himself before us. We are an objects of Jesus' gentleness and patience. Okay? He didn't lash out against us when we sinned against him, when we were not good enough for him. We are an object of Jesus' forgiveness and love. See, these garments of glory that Paul is telling us to put on were designed by Christ and worn by Christ and graciously given to us by Christ. 
he showed us what it looked like to wear these clothes. Um, and we wear only what we've personally received. So we're not just confessing our sin to one another if we want to exchange outfits. We're also, in some ways, receiving the grace of God, receiving the forgiveness and compassion of God, and letting it actually penetrate our hearts, penetrate our minds. Just spending time reflecting on how God has treated us with compassion and mercy and kindness and forgiveness. Um, The garments of glory we've personally received from our elder brother Christ. Let me just share a a brief story about um, how I've personally seen this in action from a, from a Christian in Chicago. My, uh, my family uh, and I have been looking diligently for a place to rent in Chicago. And I don't know what the Harrisonburg rental market is, but in Chicago, it's nuts. I mean, the, uh, when you take the fact that people don't want to buy houses anymore and most people want to rent, um, the rental market in Chicago is incredibly competitive. And so what we have found is that when we find a place, like a three-bedroom place with one bath, which is like our bare minimum, we have three kids and one on the way in January. Um, And so we're like, all right, for a year we can do like bare minimum, three-bedroom, one bath. And we've tried to apply to these places. We have been shut down again and again by landlords who can go with, instead of a family on one income, they can go with uh, three working professionals with three professional incomes. And so we lose out every time with these. So it's like they can just get more from these folks than they can from us. And several landlords have gone, oh, you have kids? Okay, no thanks. And it's, you know, it's, there, it's, it's, uh, it's perfectly legal because it's like a small, you know, it's like a two-family unit or something like that. So it's, they're not breaking the law by doing that, but they can do that. So we just hit wall after wall and gone, Lord, you have to make a way for us to... Get into Chicago. If you're calling us there, then we need a place to stay. Um, I went out this past Tuesday. This happened just five days ago. Went out this past Tuesday to find a place. And I got connected with a landlord um, uh, who owns a few buildings in a neighborhood that we've been looking at, that we've just felt like maybe this is right in the center of the north side of Chicago. So it's good for us to move there if we want to plant a church somewhere on the north side. And uh, find out this, uh, this man and his wife are Christians. Um, they're late 60s, early 70s, born and raised in Chicago. The, the husband was. They're part of a church plant, I found out, uh, at a different part in Chicago. And um, he showed me his unit that he has available. Four bedrooms, plus, like, playrooms. Two bath. Um, in the... District of the best elementary school in the whole city of Chicago. He gave me the tour and um, couldn't believe it. It was just this amazing place. And he said, here's, here's what I want to offer you. I believe in what you're doing. We worship the same God. Here's what I want you to do. You'll pay me this much in rent. And it was a very affordable amount, less than I ever thought I would pay. And he said, but I don't want you to write the check to me. I want you to write the check to Kids Alive International, which is, uh, it's like World Vision, um, except it's run by evangelical Christians. They rescue orphans around the world and put them in Christian homes. They rescue orphans in the, where, they look for orphans who are digging for food out of trash cans in, in, uh, in the majority world, and they put them in Christian homes where they're fed and cared for and educated and discipled. He just said, Write, the, write what you would write me in a rent check, write it to them. And so you know what it says on my lease? 
rent, zero dollars. Security deposit, zero dollars. This man could be getting wealthy. This man could be charging me $800 more per month than he is. I get the impression that he gives most of his income away. He builds multi-million dollar homes in Chicago, but you would never know it. Drives an old van. He's the most humble and compassionate man I've met in months. This man has decided to cast off the clothes of a thief that is always seeking to exploit and get... And he's put on the glory clothes of Christ. And he's giving. He's showing compassion. How is he responding to a family who needs a place to stay? He's responding with compassion. He's responding to my weakness with compassion. How is he responding to the orphans who are digging for for food in in trash cans around the world? He's responding with, with kindness. Pouring out his resources for their benefit. And as I've left my conversations with him, I feel as if I have encountered Christ. Because I have. Because he's wearing the clothes that Christ wore when he walked this earth. He's wearing the clothes, the garments of glory that Christ wore when he suffered for our sake. And I rejoice because he has shown me and he's shown our future church what manifesting the presence of Christ means. He's shown us what it means to lay aside the clothes that don't fit anymore and put on the clothes of glory. And I have hope because though I am a sinner, Christ has raised me and he's made me a person of glory. He's made us people of glory. And already, even this week, even tonight, we can lay aside those shameful garments that have no place on our bodies and put on the garments of glory. They are given to us by our elder brother Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for Church of the Incarnation. I pray that you would bless them richly. I pray that the mission of God would carry forth through this church. And I pray that the garments of glory would be worn by your saints here. I pray that the shameful garments would be cast aside in love and in grace. I pray that sin would be killed and that your garments that you've graciously given us would be, would be put on. Um, and I ask that Harrisonburg would, um, would see this church and give you glory and give you honor. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.